what that was. If you have a copy of the Scriptures, open up to Romans chapter 4. I want to let you know of a couple neat things as you're turning there. First off, a couple people have asked me out in our, our lobby here, you've seen these newspapers with the picture of the rock on the front, and a few people have asked me like, hey, why are we giving out newspapers with the rock's face on the front? What is that about? Um, these are actually super cool. I encourage you to grab one on your way out. So this is what's known as Challenge Newspaper. And so it's a gospel newspaper that's translated into several languages around the world. And this one specifically is in Spanish. And so for our Spanish speakers, I encourage you to grab one of these on your way out. But what's so cool about this, and this is why everybody should take one, is as you read through every story in here, everything points back to the gospel and points back to Jesus Christ. And there's actually an opportunity, if we pass these out, right here where this pink section is, where somebody can make a decision for Jesus. And through Challenge newspaper in several languages all across the world, thousands of people in prisons in third world countries all over the place are coming to faith in Jesus Christ as a result of this. And so I encourage you, grab one of these, uh, even if you don't speak Spanish, hand it off to somebody if you run into them. They're working right now for us specifically on getting these translated into Arabic um, so that through our Finding Hope Center, we can pass these out to our Arabic-speaking friends that we're meeting as well. So I encourage you to grab one of those. That's super neat. And I want to show you a picture. Um, I was going to do this two weeks ago. I was down in Arkansas, but I want you to see this photo. If we got that, go ahead and put that up there. Here's why this photo is important. Um, in November of last year, as we'll do this November, we collect what's known as the Big Give Missions Offering. And it's an offering where 100% of that goes back out the door um, to support missions literally in our own city, but also all around the world. And one of those, it was about 20, 25% of that offering that we specifically sent it to was a new church called Grace Church down in Harrison, Ohio on the west side of Cincinnati. And that church launched two weeks ago. This is a picture of their launch Sunday, Pastor Austin Mathis. He was my intern years ago. Um, and the uh, Lord is using them in a mighty way down there at Grace Church. And so they're officially launched. Here's why we show that. When you give, those things happen. This church didn't exist four months ago, but now they're in that community reaching people with the gospel. And they're actually, as you think about them, pray for them because they've got this really neat idea and model in their facility. It's going to double as a co-working space. So if you've heard of Cohatch here locally, they're doubling their space as that. So it'll be a gospel-centered co-working space that will be staffed all the time by Christians, um, huge opportunity as businesses are looking for space uh, to house their, their corporation or whatever it is, and they'll do it outside of a church there in Harrison, Ohio. And because we give, we have a piece of that story. And so I just want to say thank you on behalf of Austin. You'll hear from him this November with our big give offering comes up, but uh, that is super cool. So all right, stand with me in honor of reading God's word. We're going to be in the book of Romans today. Shocker, because uh, this is like week 18 that we've been in the book of Romans, slowly chipping away at this book as we're just trying to understand better the depth of the gospel and the intricacies of the gospel. And today we're talking about this idea of being too far gone. So in Romans chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 6. God's word says this, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the person to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Verse 7, blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person, I love this, who the Lord will never charge with sin. Let's pray. God, we love you. Jesus, thank you for your word. God, I pray we never get over this privilege we have to gather as the local church to, to, to worship you, to study your word so that we can know Jesus on a deeper level. 
So God, be with us today. Give us open ears to hear from the scriptures, which you want us to hear. God, give us soft and receptive hearts, not just to be hearers of the word, but also that we would receive the word and allow it to change us from the inside out and conform us to the image of Christ. But God, as James also talks about, we want to be obedient to the very things that we hear in the scriptures. And so God, would you give us obedient hearts to walk out the truth that we encounter in your word today? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this week, as I was getting ready for the message, you probably noticed this whiteboard over here. Uh, I came across this illustration on, on God's grace. And as we've been journeying through the book of Romans, and we've seen Paul outline for the church there in Rome the, the guilt of the Gentile world before God, the guilt of the Jews before God, how the entirety of humanity is guilty of sin, but we have hope in the gospel because of the grace and mercy of God, not founded in our own works, our own self-righteousness, but founded in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I came across this illustration, and you guys know I love illustrations, but I'm going to be totally honest with you this morning. I hope this doesn't offend you. This is an illustration for six-year-olds, okay? And I came across this, and I saw it, and I was reading about it online, and literally, like, light bulbs in my head just started bursting, like, oh my gosh, this just helps the idea of grace and faith and not from works makes so much sense when I saw this. And you guys remember what Albert Einstein said years ago, if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you don't actually understand it yourself, right? Sometimes we can take theological concepts and we can make them so complicated that we can't even explain the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the smallest child. And so what I want to do just for a moment this morning to make sure we're on the same page where we've been in the book of Romans is I want to show you this, this illustration. Now, again, this is for six-year-olds. And so I hope this doesn't insult your intelligence, but at the same time, this just helped this whole idea that Paul has been communicating over and over in Romans make sense to me. And so uh, we're going to draw up here quickly. I'm not an artist, so please don't, don't hold this against me. Um, we're going to draw this guy. So this is our, our gingerbread man. Kind of looks like a starfish, I guess. I don't know. We're trying our best here this morning. But let's just say for a moment that this starfish, man, represents you and it represents me. And we've seen over and over throughout the book of Romans so far, as we mentioned a moment ago, that, that Paul continues to make this case that whether you are a Jew or whether you are a Gentile, like all of us in this room this morning, that we're all under the curse of sin. We're ruled by the tyrant of sin, that sin that separates us from God. We saw a few weeks ago in Romans chapter 3 where Paul was explaining that more, and he, he said these words, that there's no one righteous, not even one. And so he's emphasizing for us, and this is, again, it's not the fun stuff to preach, but to understand the good news of the gospel, you have to understand the bad news first. And so cue memory for a second. Let's take our, our guy here for a second. What sins is he, he guilty of? Participation, participation this morning. Ooh, that's a good one. What else? What else has he done? Pride. What else? Stealing. What else? Greed. Some of y'all are telling on yourselves right now, aren't you? I'm just kidding. What else is he? Somebody in here been stealing and lying. Anyways, what else we got? What, what else are our man guilty of? Adultery. What else? I, we, 
got it right sideways. Anything else he's guilty of? This will make sense in a moment. Okay, that'll work for us today. But this guy embodies what we saw there in Romans 3. No one is righteous, not even one. If we're honest, maybe not all of them, but in some capacity, like this is a picture of you and it's a picture of me. If this, if this was an x-ray on our souls, each one of us in some capacity has these sins that have plagued our life, consumed who we are, and it's just a picture of us. But here's what's interesting that we've been studying in Romans. We saw this last week in Romans 4 as Paul was dealing with Abraham. The end of Romans 3, as Pastor Joe dealt with a couple weeks ago, this idea of, of grace and faith and also works. That the Jews in Rome struggled with this idea. They couldn't really grasp this concept that no matter how much they kept the law, that it was insufficient to deal with their sin problem. They believed that if they just, if they just did a little bit better, that somehow that, that would deal with the sin that was defining their lives. Now, how does this manifest itself in the 21st century? And this is what I wanted us to see. And this is, for me, where light bulbs started going off. And I think this is hopefully helpful for you. Because here's what we do. Um, we can't deal with this sin on our own, right? So we try to cover it with the good things that we do. So here's what we do. Um, well, yes, I'm guilty of lying, but I went to church. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of, of stealing in some capacity, but man, today, God has to be pleased with me because I, I read my Bible. Well, I, I'm guilty of, of pride, but... I was, I was generous to the church this week. Yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of greed, but man, you're not going to believe it. I had such a busy week, but man, I still went to my small group. Yeah, I'm, I'm maybe guilty of idolatry, but this morning, I spent a whole two and a half minutes in prayer. God must be pleased. And what does that do to us? Do you see the chaos and insanity of us trying to somehow think that our self-righteous actions somehow can cover and get rid of our sin? When I saw that picture in a notebook as I drew it out this week, that just made some light bulbs go in my head because that's exactly what we do when we're trying to deal with our sin problem in and of our own account. We can't do it. And it just creates this false sense of security because have I actually dealt with my lying? Have I actually dealt with adultery? Have I actually dealt with pride? Not at all. What am I doing? I'm just trying to cover it up. And the scriptures are so clear. And this is what we saw with Abraham last week. Romans chapter 4, verse 3. It says, For what does the scripture say? That Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. That God always had a plan, not simply to cover the sin problem, but to completely remove it. And it wasn't based on our own self-sufficiency. It was repentance of sin, acknowledging that what we did was an offense to God, and then faith in the promise of God that He would remove that sin. Trusting God to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. And so instead of covering our sins, this is for six-year-olds, but you're going to remember this, and you're going to get to heaven, and you're going to say, I got saved on October 2nd, 2022, because Pastor Aaron drew a starfish man on the board. Some of y'all don't know. You, you'll see. You'll see. This may be the moment that you meet Jesus. You don't know. 
But rather than trying to cover our sins, this is where the gospel takes root here. The gospel says, no, 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 I don't need you to cover them. I'm going to remove them completely. I love that. Because it's not dependent upon what I can do to somehow deal with my sin problem. God comes in with the eraser. You guys remember what he said in Psalm 103? That as far as the east is from the west, so he's removed our transgressions from us. That it's not my self-sufficiency that saves me. It's the God of the universe that when I repent of my sin and acknowledge my offense to Him, that He comes in with the eraser and He erases them as far as the east is from the west. And then here's what He does. I love this. He places the Spirit of Jesus inside of me. And wherever the Spirit of Jesus occupies, there's no room for anything else. That when God looks at me forever, for all eternity, moving forward, he no longer sees my sin. What does he see? Jesus. Why? Because it wasn't based on what I did. It's based on the promise of Jesus and what he did for me. So welcome to our kindergarten classroom. I hope that was a little bit helpful for you today. Now, let's deal with this question as we think about this idea of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ and not from our own works. What if I feel too far gone? What if I feel like what I've done is too much? That God can't forgive the sins that I've committed because I've, I've just done too many things that most people probably don't even know about. What if my past seems too much for the grace of God? Here in Romans chapter 4, if, you want, if you're still there in your Bible, I hope that you are, Paul's continuing this discussion in this chapter to these Roman believers talking about their patriarchs, their leaders from the past, and he's showing them that these people that you revere so much were saved just like you. They believed the promise of God. They repented of sin and believed God's promise. It wasn't based on their works. It was based on faith. And last week, we saw Paul start this argument with Abraham, the the founder, we could say, of the Jewish faith, their, their main patriarch, leader, father, Abraham. But now he transitions to another gentleman that the Jews revered highly, a man who, by all accounts, if we actually read his story, as we're going to do part of today, this guy seemed a little bit too far gone for the grace of God, and it's King David. Now, typically when we think of King David, we think of a couple things. You might think of David and his battle against Goliath, right? How the young shepherd boy flung a stone at a giant's head and destroyed him and cut his head off and won the victory for the armies of Israel. You might think of what the scriptures say in, in uh, 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, quoted again in Acts 13, 22. It'll be up on our screen. It says, after removing him, that God raised up David as their king, as the king of Israel, and testified about him, that David was a man after God's own heart. He says, I've, I've found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart who will carry out my will. So typically when we think of David, we think of this man who was a, a man after God's own heart, this valiant warrior. Yet what makes David's story so interesting when we talk of this idea of too far gone is David's story is a, a story of one plagued with adultery and a story that's plagued with murder. Now, we don't do this, but if we were to, let's say that we took sin and we weighed them on a scale. Which is worse than the other? Which is heavier? Uh, I think we would agree, we don't do this, but when we hear the words murder and adultery, nobody in here is like, yeah, not really a big deal. 
We don't do that. When we think of murder and adultery, those are kind of the ones that we think, we're like, whoa, both within the span of a day or two? My goodness. Like, what's wrong with you, David? But here's what Paul wants us to see in Romans 4, that the grace of God will always extend further than your sin. I want us to hear that this morning. This, is, this will be broadcast on the radio next week, too. And I, I, this is such an important concept for us to understand. No matter how far you have wandered from God, God's grace always goes a little bit further than you did. You can never outrun the grace of God. It's an impossible thing to do. No matter the decisions that we make, no matter the sins that we commit, you cannot outrun the grace of of God. And what Paul wants us to see is that just like you, just like me, just like Abraham, that God's grace was available to David too when he seemed too far gone. Two points for us today if you're a note taker. Write these down. First one is this, is that David functioned, number one, under the same grace that we do. Verse six, what's it say? Likewise, David also speaks of the blessing of the person to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. If you have a hard copy of the Scriptures, uh, underline that word likewise. Your, your Bible might say something like just as David, something like that. What's Paul doing? He's helping us see Jews are guilty. Gentiles are guilty. What's the solution? The grace of God, believing in the promise of God. Who did that apply to? Everybody in Rome. Yeah, but what about Abraham? Paul says, I dealt with that last week. Him too. Yeah, but what about David? Paul says, listen up. It's going to apply to him What he started in verse 1 of chapter 4, he's continuing in verse 6. David, this important figure in Jewish history, one of Israel's most favored kings, but a guy whose story was filled with deep, deep sin. Let me catch you up on this story quickly. You can turn over, if you'd like to, to 2 Samuel chapter 11. These will be on our screen if you want to follow along. David's story is a story plagued with adultery and murder. Here's what the Bible says, that one evening King David was walking around the roof of his house, his palace. And what did he do? As he was meandering out on that roof, he spotted a beautiful woman who was bathing nearby. It's interesting, if you read 2 Samuel 11, verse 1, that David was actually supposed to have gone to battle with his armies, but he sent Joab instead. Do you know, this man is good, um, if you don't fulfill the God-given roles and duties that he's given you, and you become complacent, you set yourself up for sin. Did you know that? God created you with certain abilities, skills, um, certain requirements in your life, certain responsibilities. And when you and I say, you know what, things are good, I'm going to step back, I'm just going to chill a little bit, you set yourself up to fit for failure, to sin. And we see that in the life of David here. He became complacent. And rather go to army like kings were supposed to do, that we saw in verse 1, he's like, you know what I'm going to do tonight? I'm going to chill on the rooftop. I'm going to hang on the palace. I'm going to see what's going on. And what's he do? He sees this woman on the other roof. 2 Samuel 11, verse 2, one evening David got up from his bed. He strolled around on the roof of the palace, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. You continue reading in that story, it says that David ended up sending a servant to go find out about her. He reported back to him, that that, that woman is named Bathsheba, the wife of a man named Uriah. Here's another reminder for us in regard to sin. I heard this years ago when I was a teenager, and it stuck with me ever since. Sin will take you farther than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay. Guard yourself from sin. David, instead of doing what he was supposed to do, what was he doing? Just taking an evening stroll on the rooftop. What probably started with a simple glance became a stare, 
became a requirement for a woman to come because he was the king and you have to do what the king says. But it says that she was the wife of of this man named Uriah there in the scriptures. Who was Uriah? This wasn't just some random guy that David was unaware of. Uriah was one of David's mighty men. This was this group of soldiers, this men that David would send first into battle because they were valiant warriors. I can't remember the name of one of them. I got the Bible study um, uh, in my office over there. But there's this Bible study that was written called uh, Chasing a Lion on a Snowy Day. That was literally one of these mighty men. I can't remember the guy's name. I wish I could. But it says in the scriptures that it was snowing outside. This guy saw a lion. The lion took off, jumped in a hole. The guy jumped in the hole after him and just killed the lion because it was a Tuesday afternoon kind of a thing, you know? I mean, that was these guys. Like, these were bad dudes. These were, I mean, just valiant warriors, David's most trusted companions. And yet David sends for the wife of one of these men. Rather than walking away from what he knew was wrong, what does he do? He summons Bathsheba. He sleeps with her. And what happens? She ends up pregnant with child. 2 Samuel 11, verse 5. It says, The woman conceived and sent word to inform David, I am pregnant. So now David, full-blown, engaged in the sin of adultery, what does he do? Rather than confess his shortcoming, confess his sin, David attempts to cover his sin. Here's a reminder as well. These are just little important kind of fortune cookie phrases to keep in the back of your mind as you're walking with Jesus that unconfessed and unrepented sin will eventually be uncovered no matter how hard we try to hide it. God is a God of light, and in him there is no darkness. Let's make sure if you stumble and you fall, the reason we exist in a church community is not to throw stones at you, but to grab your arms and to lift you back up and say, now let's walk together. That's why we do this. So David, rather than doing that very thing, he tries to cover up his sin. So what does he do? He calls his military leader. He calls this man Uriah. He says, come to me, bring me a report there from the battlefield. Uriah gives this report and David sends him home to be with Bathsheba. Here was his hope. That if I send Uriah home, maybe he'll sleep with his wife and she'll be pregnant and I can cover up the fact that that's my baby and they'll think it was Uriah's baby instead. Uriah, instead of doing that very thing, the Bible says he actually went and slept in the servant quarters instead of sleeping with his wife because rather indulge in pleasure, he said, how can I do such a thing when my men are still on the battlefield fighting for our nation? That happens two separate times. So what does David do? He realizes, I'm guilty of the sin of adultery. Bathsheba is pregnant with child. And I can't cover up my sin. So he calls Joab to himself, this military leader. And he says, we got to deal with this once and for all. I want you to take Uriah, put him on the front lines of battle when you all go back. Put him in the very front of all of the fighting so he's engaged with the enemy. Then once he's at the very front, I want you to call the entire military that's with him to draw back, leaving him alone, leaving him exposed so that he would be killed by the enemy. 2 Samuel 11 verse 17 says this, Then the men of the city came out and attacked Joab, and some of the men from David's soldiers, what did they do? They fell in battle, and Uriah the Hittite also died. In a matter of just a few days, y'all, we see in David's story here that he's a guilty of lying, He's guilty of adultery. He's guilty of murder. And he continues trying to cover up his sin. Fast forward to chapter 12 there in 2 Samuel. 
We see the prophet Nathan sent by God to confront David, which ultimately, praise God, leads to David's repentance and his forgiveness of sin. Look at 2 Samuel 12, verse 13. David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That's what repentance looks like, by the way. Repentance and confession is not where you make excuses for what you've done. You remember in Genesis chapter 2 and 3 when God confronts Adam and his sin? What does he say? That woman you gave me caused me to do this. Repentance doesn't involve blaming. It doesn't involve trying to cover up. It doesn't involve trying to make excuses. Instead, we have to own up to the reality that we've messed up, we've screwed up, and we've sinned, and we need to own that. Because then what happens next? Then Nathan replied to David, love this, watch this, I've sinned against the Lord, and the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. Now there's more details in that story that we're not going to get in today, but what's the point of this? Why do we read that story? Thank goodness for the grace of God. I mean, thank goodness that we serve a God of grace. Because in that moment when Nathan confronts David and his sin, and David has to come to this individual realization of what he was guilty of and who he was guilty against in all of this, what do we know now? That David understood grace. He writes about it, as we'll see in the Psalms in a moment. David understood the righteousness of God. David understood repentance. And Paul reminds us here in verse 6. Look at verse 6 again there in Romans chapter 4. It says, just as David speaks of the blessing. Underline that in your Bible if you have a pen and a hard copy of Scripture. Another way we could translate that, and some Bible translations do this, he says, um, the person who has been a receiver of grace. David understood what it meant to be a receiver of grace. But what did he do to receive God's grace? How how did David get declared right with God again? He didn't go out and attend a, a temple worship service. He didn't go and get a whole bunch of copies of the scrolls and say, I'm going to sit here for the next two hours and read this and hopefully that makes God happy with me again. How did David get right with God? 2 Samuel 12 verse 13, he said, I've sinned against the Lord. David's avenue of getting right with God was the same as yours and mine. He repented of what he did against God, and he believed that God extended grace to him because he had repented of it. David repented of his sin. That is the mystery of Christianity. That is the mystery of the gospel. How can an individual who not long before was guilty of lying, adultery, and murder repent of sin, and the God of the universe says it's forgiven because of what the Messiah will do. He looks at you and I. We could be guilty of adultery, murder, and lying. Yet if we understand our sin and we agree with God that what we've done was was wrong against Him because of His righteousness, the God of the universe looks at us and says, you're forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. Think of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9, a man who the Scripture says was breathing threats down the church, who was killing people who were followers of the way, followers of Jesus. In an instant, he meets Jesus on a Damascus road. And what happens? Paul's sins are forgiven. He becomes the greatest evangelist to ever walk the face of the earth. How does God take a murderer and make him one of the greatest witnesses for Christ? It's the finished work of Jesus and repentance and believing what he's accomplished for us on the cross. The message has not changed. God's avenue of forgiving people and making us right with him again has always been repentance and faith. 
just as it's applied to your account, applied to Abraham's account, and applied to David's account. Then he transitions in verse 7. In verse 7, you can write this in the margin of your Bible, David is, or Paul is quoting David, his writings in Psalm 32. If you read the book of Psalms, it's a book of poetry. Real quickly, let me just, just outline some of these things. So there's different types of genre in the Scripture. So you've got poetry, you've got wisdom literature, you've got narrative, history, law, so many things. The poetry literature is mostly found in the book of Psalms. Most of those were written by King David, but two that really stand out, if you study them in, in context with the history books, like we are here in 2 Samuel, is Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. I encourage you to read these later. Psalm 51 deals when, with, when Nathan confronted David in his sin. And Psalm 51 is David writing now this, this poem of, of him being confronted and the repentance that was associated with that because he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had murdered Uriah and he was confronted in his sin. But Psalm 32 runs in conjunction with that and is a psalm actually of celebration and joy where David's like, I've been forgiven. The grace of God's been extended to me and now I can celebrate that. And what's Paul doing? He's quoting David for us to see the continuity between the Old and New Testament, that again, the grace of God's been extended to everyone through repentance and faith in the promise of God. Here's number two. It's the same grace, and it's also the same process. Romans 4, verse 7. So Paul is, is quoting King David. He's, he's quoting Psalm 32. Blessed are, the lawless, blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Circle that word blessed in your Bible. It's a word that can mean happy, those who are, are filled with joy. Why are you filled with joy? Because you've been forgiven of sin. Your sins have been taken care of. Don't gloss over the word forgiven. That's a word that in our, our church world we can read and we're like, yeah, I, kinda, I know what that means. It's a word that has so much depth to meaning. When we understand this, we begin to understand the gospel. Forgiven means the burden of sin was lifted off my back and then it was cast away farther, so far that I'll never see it again. Do you know that when you and I live in an unrepentant state, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, that you bear the burden of sin on your own back? It's really hard to be engaged a lot of times in secret sin, and nobody knows about it, and you carry that on your own. That's a heavy weight to bear. But what's David say? That you're happy and you're filled with joy when you repent of that and you confess that sin. And what is forgiveness? Forgiveness says the burden of that sin is taken off of my shoulders. It's placed on the shoulders of Jesus and then it is cast away, never to be seen again. Psalm 103 puts it this way, as far as the east is from the west, so far he's removed our transgressions from us. David wrote that as well. Here's a really cool question for you. This is trivia time. Welcome to kindergarten class again. How far is the east from the west? It's an infinite distance. You can't exist in both at the same time. Meaning that when God casts your sin away, he casts it away infinitely forever. Those who repent of their sin, their sin is cast away so far, never to be seen again. But then notice what David says as well. Not only are, are, are lawless acts sin forgiven, but they're, they're covered they're covered. That's that picture we saw about, what, four weeks ago in Leviticus 16 of the mercy seat of God where, where the high priest would go in and he would sacrifice an animal on behalf of the nation of Israel. And the blood of that animal would be poured on top of this mercy seat, the place where God dwelled. Why would he do it? Because it would cover the sin of the people. When Jesus died on the cross for you and I, although we were guilty sinners, while we were yet sinners, Jesus still died for you and for me. 
Paul is reminding us and David's reminding us that the blood of Jesus covers our sin. Think about this. The blood of Jesus literally keeps our sin from the eyes of God. I love that. That when God looks at me, he doesn't see my sin anymore. What's he see? He sees the blood of Jesus Christ. It's no longer my sin on my account. It's the righteousness of Jesus applied to me. Y'all, this is some good news. I'm about to take a shoe off and throw it against the wall. Gracious might. He goes on here in Romans 4.8. He says, blessed is the person who the Lord will never charge with sin. I mean, think about this. When we repent, put our faith in God, we're blessed because we're considered righteous. You know, we said this four weeks ago. Let's just bring it up again. We've got nothing else to do. We're terrible people, like wretched sinners. Now, we could, you could pull up YouTube later, and I'm sure you can find plenty of preachers that are going to tell you, you, you define your destiny. All this goofball stuff. Quit. You are, we, are wretched, me included, we are wretched sinners separated from a holy God, and the only way that we're made righteous is with the blood of Jesus is applied to our account. That's some good news. If this was a Pentecostal church, some of the women would be waving hankies right now. We would just be having a good old time. Pastor Joe would grab a few flags, and we'd be running the aisles. Gracious, sometimes Baptist, man. I bet if I threw a crock pot up here, some of y'all would freak out. That's what you do in Baptist church. We talk about repentance and faith. People are like, yeah, that's pretty cool. That was free. That just came out. out of what's, in the, what's in the heart overflows from the mouth, I guess. I don't know. God will never charge a sin to our account. He won't change his mind about you. He won't change his plan. It's settled for eternity. In the Greek there, that, that phrase, never charged with sin. Circle that, highlight it, underline it. You want to make that thing pop off. Why? It's actually a double negative in the Greek, Me, meaning this. It could say that the Lord will never, ever, 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 under any circumstances, ever charge you with sin ever, ever again. I mean, that's, that's the emphasis that Paul wants us to see. That's the emphasis that David was giving in Psalm 32, that when the righteousness of God is applied to your account, your sins are cast away forever, and he will only, forever, always see Jesus no matter what. There's nothing in your human effort that you can do to be made right with God. We simply put our faith and trust in Jesus. So let's close with this. I want you to hear this. You're not too far gone from the grace of God. You are not too far gone from the grace of God. I don't care what's in your story. I don't care what you've done. I don't even care what happened last night. You're not too far from the grace of God. God's grace is always bigger than my sin and your sin. And he always stands ready to forgive you. No matter how far you run, God's about two feet past you. He just needs you to turn around and recognize that he's there. Recognize that he's there. Repent of your sin. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and the righteousness of God can be applied to your account. I read a poem this week and I want to close with this. It was by a lady named Rebecca Jordan. I've never read this before. I've never heard of her, but I thought this was pretty good. And we'll close with this. She wrote this, that God's grace is so deep that you can never contain it. His grace is so wide you can never explain it. So deep you can never see its beginning. So wide you can never see its ending. His grace is so deep you can't even comprehend it. So wide you can never ever end it. So good you can hardly believe it. So great you can only receive it. So free his grace is that you can never earn it. And God's grace is so amazing, you'll never return it. Isn't that good? Friends, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, why not? We assume nothing. Why not today? You can't do it on your own. We've emphasized that so much. We're going to take a break from Romans after this week. It's the finished work of Jesus on the cross, applied to the account of the individual who is willing to repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ. 
Why not today? Can I pray for us as our praise team comes? God, we love you. Lord, what a day. What a gospel. God, thank you for the invitation that you give us to your family. That although we do not deserve it, for some reason you extend it, Lord. I pray for anybody within the sound of my voice, whether in the room or listening later. God, if they're caught in this just, this wave of continuing to try to be made right with you through the good things that they do, somehow trying to please you through their own efforts, that the message of the gospel would make its way from their ears to their heart today, and that we would fully understand that our righteousness is not in our own self-effort, but it's in what Jesus already accomplished for us on the cross. And God, I pray in this moment that they would be willing to repent of sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ, wholly giving their lives over to him, not trusting in themselves, but trusting in you. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for this day, the privilege we've had to gather around your word, to sing your praises, to study your word. I pray now as we respond through another song that we give you the praise that you and only you deserve. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.